Nick Vujicic is an Australian-American born without arms or legs who's become a world-renowned speaker, New York Times best-selling author, coach, and entrepreneur. He's persevered through life's challenges, and he's discovered key principles which enabled him to find his purpose and turn obstacles into opportunities, making him one of the most sought-after keynote speakers in the world. Nick is an anti-bullying advocate and founder and CEO of the nonprofit ministry Life Without Limbs. He's been featured on BBC, 60 Minutes Australia, CBS Sunday Morning, Oprah's Life Class, USA Today, People Magazine, ABC News, The Glenn Beck Program, TLC, LA Stories, and many more. He personally connects with his huge social media following through the Nick Vujicic podcast and engages through webinars and coaching. He's the husband and father of four children. He brings amazing inspiration to a hurting world, and I'm proud to call him friend. Welcome, Nick, to the Economic War Room. Kevin, love you very much. It's wonderful to see you again. For many people who sometimes say they're my friend, I just want you all to know, I, I, I'm honored to call you a real friend. So thank you for what you're doing, and hello to everybody watching. Uh, thank you. You know, I first saw you when you were up on the stage at Gateway Church, oh, yeah. where I attended. And I was like, that guy's amazing. I want to meet him someday. So I just said, Heavenly Father, give me the opportunity to meet Nick. And here you are. I love it. Right here in the Economic War Room. Tell us your story. Yes, I was born in Melbourne, Australia, uh, limbless. No medical reason as to why I had my limb deficiency from birth. Um, the doctors just said, well, maybe he's never going to walk. He may never go to school because back there in Australia at that time, um, disabled kids were not integrated into the mainstream school system. My mom and dad actually fled communism Yugoslavia in the 1960s through refugee camps. My mom was six when the government kicked them out of their own home. They went to Australia. They met. They fell in love. I was their firstborn son. And after some time, they said, God, if you have a plan for our child, we want you to help us get out of the way and give him every opportunity to flourish. And so I went to school, uh, went through depression and attempted suicide at age 10. Mm. Um, I was seeking uh, my faith and wondering what plan and purpose he could ever have for me. And at age 15, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, um, reading John chapter nine about what Jesus said to the blind man and the people around him when he healed him. And I realized, God, if you give me arms and legs, you give me a miracle, awesome. If you don't, help me to be one for someone else. At age 17, the janitor at my high school said, you're gonna be a worldwide speaker. He organized my first speech, and now I've traveled around the what world you as think an evangelist. When he said that? <laughs> when he said you're gonna be a worldwide speaker, what are you thinking? How did I you process he, at that age 17? I said, you're crazy. He said, no, I'm not. Uh, at that time, he saw me speak in front of 1,400 students and peers at the school because I was part of the student government membership. And so I had to do a speech. And he said, aren't you a Christian? I said, yeah. He said, I wanna organize your first speech. You're gonna go around and share your story. Kevin, I said, I don't have a story. And he persisted for three months. He twisted my arm and I said, yes. And people were crying. And then they started inviting me to churches and youth groups. And um, I became an ordained minister as an evangelist uh, 20 years ago at age 19. And now I've traveled and preached the gospel to 9.7 million people face to face. Wow, almost 10 million people. And uh, 1.1 million gave their life to Jesus Christ and then digitally 733 million people through the ministry, Life Without Limbs. Wow, that is a, those are Billy Graham numbers. I mean, that is, I yes, don't know sir. exactly what, that's amazing. Yes, sir. Yeah, praise God. Praise God. We, you know, and 
we, God willing, have more decades to come. Well, and you have a great sense of humor. I've seen some of your videos. They're very funny. When you're talking to kids, you're very funny. And, and I've seen some of the sports videos, the things that you've done, golf yes, and other things. Amazing. You know, my, my parents always said, uh, Nick, don't, don't, don't worry about what God hasn't given you. He's given you a brain. Um, do what you can. Stop focusing on what you cannot. And they helped me to embrace failure, not as a status, but as my classroom. And when we embrace failure as part of the journey to understand that you don't just go through things, you grow through things, that resilience um, was, was something special that my parents put in me, uh, along with my family community and church community there as well. Well, you have a gift. You have a gift of communication, a gift of connecting. What's it feel like when you, you're talking to young people and you, you just see their eyes light up and they connect with you? Kevin, I just uh, finished a speech uh, down in McKellen, uh, Texas, down in the south, south part of Texas, live streamed to 15,000 students. And uh, we all know uh, that teenagers have thought of committing suicide. I've done an anonymous survey into 297 schools where they've actually told us that 6 to 12% pre-COVID, uh, six to twelve percent of all teenagers have thought of committing suicide. Three to six percent have actually attempted, and forty percent of the reason for attempted suicide in our country is because of a brokenness at home, and forty percent because of bullying at school. And so I've had the pleasure of live streaming into three thousand young people's lives in America across five different states, spoken at state legislatures about this, Hawaii and Utah. And so um, when you get up there and you know that there is someone in the crowd who just needs to know that encouragement to know that you're beautiful just the way that you are. No one deserves to be bullied. And if you've ever thought of giving up, so would I, and I even tried, but I want you to know, please stay here. There's a greater purpose and value to your life. You're not determined, your values don't determine what people think of you and your past does not define your future. So those kinds of things have opened up in education systems with presidents in 75 countries. Wow. So it's been incredible to work with education ministers. And right now we're talking to Israel and we're talking to Brazil as we speak right now. And what you bring is a message of individual dignity. And that's so powerful because we see everything else as just a group. And, and that's, I think, the sin of one of the major sins of the world today is we see everything else as, as a group and we don't realize that there's an individual that God has made. Every one of us is uniquely made by God and he loves us at an individual level. I just want to tell you right now, God loves you. He's got an awesome plan for you. And I love you. And, and, and if God can use a man without arms and legs to be his hands and feet, then God can use any willing heart. And I just want you to know to never ever give up on God. He can take your broken pieces and do something beautiful. And exactly what Kevin said, I'm just reiterating to you to know that there is hope for you too. So please don't give up. Well, that's great. We're going to need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Nick about a proposed pro-life bank. And we're going to introduce you to his friend, Betsy Gray. So after the break, we'll talk about the pro-life bank. Nick, would you introduce us to your friend, Betsy, and tell us what brought you together? Yeah, it'd be my honor. Uh, Betsy and I, we met back in 2015. Um, we both resided in California, and I spoke at an annual gala that would fundraise for the nonprofit organization that she's been CEO of um, at that time, uh, and for many years to help uh, abortion-determined women receive a free ultrasound, and seven out of 10 of them 
choose life. So many, many babies were saved in Santa Barbara thanks to this nonprofit organization. And uh, when we met, uh, it was uh, absolutely confirmed in the Holy Spirit that we would do something. We would see God do something through our friendship for pro-life. Um, and three years into our uh, friendship in 2018, she gives me a call. She says, I'm starting a bank. And I'm like, okay. And so I think it'd be best, Kevin, if uh, uh, definitely Betsy shares with the audience how God gave her the vision for Pro-Life Bank in 2018. Why would you start a bank? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And it's just such an honor. Um, so, yeah, it's so unlikely. But uh, in 2018, we received a large donation from a donor. And I knew that the bank we were using, a local bank, uh, gave philanthropically to the largest abortion uh, provider in our nation. And so I said to my board at the time, you know, it's time we find a bank that doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. So I asked my board treasurer, go and find a bank that doesn't do that. And they all agreed it would be a great idea. He came back in three weeks and said, there's not a single bank in Santa Barbara that doesn't proudly support the abortion giant. And so I was crushed and uh, was praying and repenting and asking the Lord what I should do. I mean, think of all the money from not only our organization, but all the churches and the Christians and the, you know, that are inadvertently supporting abortion. It's economic warfare on life. hundred percent. And so um, I heard the Lord say, I want you to start my bank, Pro-Life Bank. And I said, yes, because I know that that's all we need as people of faith is uh, to say yes. And, then, and, it, and, and usually, it's always going to be way too big for us to oh, accomplish. Yeah. That's a huge task to take on. Yeah. So, for some reason, do you have any background in banking? I, I don't have any background in, in, in banking. Um, as my, <laughs> I've heard a friend say, I'm into the nonprofits. I don't usually profit. Um, but anyway, um, so that's when I started calling some friends. And of course, one of my first calls was to Nick. What did you think? She's calling you and you're talking pro-life and now she's talking about a bank. How does that feel? Well, the conversation went like this. I, you know, she said, I'm starting a bank, God's Bank, Pro-Life Bank. I'm like, that's great. She said, I want you on some calls. I'm like, I don't have any background in banking. She said, I know you don't, but you do have a financial background and you think through things differently than most. I'm like, no problem. So for about, I would say, almost two years, we had about 15 phone calls with different people, wealth managers, uh, different people of even background uh, in payment systems, credit card systems, and, and so on. And, and some of them were really wealthy and equally yoked. But they're like, well, come back to us when, you know, you're at a later stage. Sure. And so uh, it was February 2019 when I said to Betsy, I said, Betsy, this is an uphill climb and you need someone to really drive this. And she said, yeah, it's you. I said, <laughs> no, no. No, it's not me. She says, yeah, well, pray about it. I'm like, all right, I'll pray about it. Two weeks later, she says, God told me yes. I'm like, great, let him tell me. And I said, give me three months because the history is so much more, Kevin, to our friendship. She hears from the Lord and I've known that. And so when Betsy says something, you, you got to listen. 
Um, so I, I said, okay, I don't want to talk to you now for three months. No text, no phone, no email. Let him, I don't know how, but let him tell me this is what he wants me to do. A month later, I got kicked out of my own bank. Um, now, wait a minute. How would a bank kick you out of the bank? What, <laughs> what does that mean? They, did, they don't like the things that you say when you encourage people, when you're doing anti-bullying, when you're being pro-life? There was, there was at that time an online article that framed me to be anti-LGBTQ, an article, Kevin, that does not exist today. Um, we woke up one day and our credit cards, personal and for-profit, credit cards, debit cards, credit line, I mean, you know, you have three credit bureaus, two of them were Dash, um, and, and they refused to, to speak to me. I went to the branch, they said, we are not allowed to talk to you. I said, what do you mean you're not allowed to talk to me? And they said, you really need to leave the building. And I said, I have no idea what is going on. So I called some friends in DC and I said, am I on a list? You know, they found my fingerprints for laundering money or terrorism, I mean, seriously. Uh, they said no, from what we could tell. So they said the best thing is to do, try open another bank account. The bank that I'm not gonna mention um, gave me 30 days to find another bank. They, they gave me a letter. They said, we have reviewed who you are as a customer internally, and we don't want anything to do with you. Go find another bank. This is frightening. This is what they did to gun uh, stores and gun manufacturers. It's called Operation Choke Point, and they did it officially. And then they had to apologize. And a friend of mine was the head of the American Bankers Association, Frank Keating. He said, this is completely wrong. And they do it at the FDIC level. They do it at the state banking examiner's level. But it's wrong. It's a way that you can dehumanize a person and just say, you don't exist anymore. This is George Orwell. Mm. Yeah, right now, I mean, look at Canada right now. Kevin, there are, there are many, many people in Canada who can't get any bank account because they gave to the truckers. So it really is the economic war. I mean, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, for-profit, non-profit, if you can't have a bank, you can't function. You don't exist. You don't exist, you're done. So it was frightening, it really, really was. And so 30 days after that, the Holy Spirit said, so, are you ready <laughs> now to start? That's a pretty dramatic way for the Lord to let you in on it. And thank God, you know, that uh, I heard it by his mercy and grace, and of course, then that's when I said yes, and I gave him my yes, and I called Betsy, I said, Betsy, it's a yes, but I need seven months, you have no idea what has just happened to me. And it was chaos, Kevin. And so it's been a quick, um, uh, education for us about banking world, banking systems, and what to do. Um, and this was before cancel culture was coined. Um, this is before all this real stuff that really was being talked about. Kevin, people actually were looking at us with disbelief that their own banks were giving to Planned Parenthood or abortion providers. It was actually gonna take us tens of millions of dollars to educate everybody. You might actually, on marketing level for the bank, Pro-Life Bank proposed, to say, hey, you might wanna see if your churches, Christian schools, bank actually gives to things that you actually may not agree with. Wow. And so here we are now in 2022, and we have uh, targeted a bank that uh, here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that we believe is given by the Holy Spirit to actually purchase. And we're right now um, in talks with some people to purchase it and, uh, and, and see God's bank flourish. And it comes with an equally yoked team who is 
ready to wage a humble but confident war. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more about the pro-life bank and what America can be if we build some parallel systems to keep everybody in the economy. I got a press release yesterday. It was from the National Committee for Religious Freedom, and it said this, after Chase employees initially told us they were prohibited from providing any explanation as to why our account was canceled, they later shifted and told us we hadn't provided requested documentation within 60 days. Our account was closed only 20 days after it was opened, and we'd provided all the documentation requested of us. So this appears to be a smokescreen. What am I referencing? I'm referencing the fact that the National Committee for Religious Freedom had their Chase bank account closed and they wouldn't even explain why. That's not a news story. We just heard from Nick Vujicic that he had an account closed and there was no explanation there. And he also mentioned that in Canada, if you supported the truckers or Trump, you had accounts closed. And I'm gonna read from the Toronto Sun newspaper. Trudeau minister threatens to seize accounts of pro-Trump convoy donors. The justice minister in Justin Trudeau's government has said that if you hold the wrong political views, you should be worried about your bank account. Well, you know, 74 million people voted for Donald Trump in this country, and we had the President of the United States in front of uh, Independence Hall shaking his fist under red light saying, you know, you're, you're not, hum basically, you're, you're semi-fascist, you're not human, you've gotta be removed from our system. This is the problem of economic warfare, especially domestic economic warfare, where you can be dehumanized by being removed from the economic system. That's why we need alternatives. And we have Nick Vujicic and Betsy Gray here talking about an idea God gave you all for a pro-life bank that will not dehumanize people, that will recognize individuals, and it will validate their right to participate in our free market economy. Correct, and everyone's gonna be a customer of Pro-Life Bank Proposed. You know, we're, we're gonna accept everyone as a customer, and we're never gonna cancel anyone unless there's some judiciary unlawfulness within the account that is proven then they're in. The, and they're in. However, we will see God's righteousness of stewardship according to biblical principle and values that we know that God enjoys life and all of life, that every baby is valuable and that life begins at conception. So therein the stewardship of the prophets will be philanthropically um, uh, given towards biblically aligned nonprofit organizations. Well, let me ask, are you going to be welcoming? Uh, to P if, What if somebody's pro-choice and wants to open an account with you? Will you take their account? We, we will uh, open an account for anyone. They, they don't have to agree with us uh, because um, we're going to be probably the best bank ever. So everyone is going to want to bank with us. So they just have to know that um, philanthropically, we will be supporting things that uphold godly principles. And if that's something they're, they're not aligned with, they can choose another bank. You know, I, I don't think most people realize that their bank is, is anti-life. I think that's news to the average. It was news to you, and you were in the pro-life business. Well, and that's what's so fascinating about the grace of God, is he was mentioning um, our job of having to market that very point, and yet it's 
been done by them themselves advertising that they want to pay for travel and abortion of all their employees. And so I think it's becoming crystal it's clear where they obvious. stand. But it wasn't even imagined. No, now, it wasn't. How dehumanizing is it to realize that your bank won't tell you why, you're just not welcome here? That's like an Orwell novel. Look, first of all, we know that next year the term domestic terrorist is going to be on the list of, of, of the lips of everybody and the tongues. That's what they're going to call us, domestic terrorists. If you don't line up with what we say, you're a domestic terrorist and you're a threat to society. But there are enough of us like you and, as we all know, some people of the remnant who say, you know what, if that's what Chase is doing and they're funding their employees' abortion, this is my insurance company and we'll actually pay for the adoption of the baby for someone else. So there is a, uh, an equal reaction uh, on that for those of us who do have that uh, courage and, and knowledge. Look, it, it's not about dehumanization, it is. However, it's really, Kevin, principalities and powers of darkness where we're in this dominion called Earth that's ruled by Satan himself. Um, and so um, when we understand the spiritual realms and we know why we're here and we know what we need to do while we are here, Kevin, I've had a spying drone at my house. I've had a grenade at my home. I got kicked out of a bank. I had a lawsuit threat from overseas and costed me $120,000 to defend myself. And I was, I, I was found not guilty, of course not going to get the money back, and so on and so forth. And you know how it is when you're on the spot. Like, listen, when you get in front of the gates of hell and redirect traffic, it gets hot. And that's kind of why I'm like, you know, we need to start telling the church as well, the, the pastors, will you grow a spine? Generally, not all the churches. Some churches have a spine. But let me tell you, it, it, it's kind of like frustrating, uh, but yet at the same time, heavily stewarded, here between us to say, church, wake up. You know, it's interesting, Kevin, and ironic that uh, God's going to use a man without arms and legs to be his hands and feet and tell the crippled church, wake up. I really feel this is the time for us to wake up to talk about the national security border. That's not political. That's, that's moral. Because of no border in Texas, human trafficking, 400%, pro-life, Foster and adoption is not being talked enough in the churches. Human trafficking is not, PTSD from abortion, it's not being talked about on the church. And as an evangelist, I feel responsible to correct the church in humility and all sincerity and righteousness. And this is part of your financial stewardship. It's God's wealth. What is the enemy doing because of our lack of choice in where we bank? You know, we call it weaponizing your money. I think every Christian has a responsibility to use their money as a weapon, as a tool. It is not an end in itself. It's not something we need to pile up money. It is a tool God has given us, and we need to, our spending, our giving, and our investing all need to be used for the glory of God and for His kingdom. Amen and amen. And thank you for what you're doing as well on that level. I do want to say that we know that Pro-Life Bank Propose is not the only bank that's going to be there. There's going to be an affiliation association of like-minded bankers across America because we know banks like Chase ain't going to give our customers cash, right? And so it's going to be a national uh, level as well as a global fintech. The World Evangelical Alliance, Kevin, that actually is based in Europe, uh, 600 million Christians underneath that umbrella. You know what their num number one prayer was 14 months ago? Who will be the global fintech as the Noah's Ark of the financials of oh, wow. stewardship? 
here and then working with you with Texas Digital um, to actually mitigate the risk of hyperinflation and absolute collapse to actually be one of those banks that, that move forward with you to uh, have finally, again, a gold-backed currency. It's everything. So God is calling the body of Christ together for those of us who are awake, who do have the courage and the boldness and the humility to lead strong. Uh, it's so great to have you both here, and thank you for sharing with us the proposed Pro-Life Bank. It's an amazing story. Love you, and if you want to uh, come to the website, it's prolifebank.com. We've had 40,000 people give their email addresses, and we'd love to hear from you and why you're also excited for something like that. Kevin, thank you, and God thank bless you, you and my name. Thank you, Betsy. If you want to learn more about this, you can get your free economic battle plan for this episode at economicwarroom.com. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies, they view it as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room. Mm -hmm.